0: Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Luke chapter 21, verse 28. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so, to begin with, just a quick word on this phrase, these things. Right Now, when these things begin to take place, which, of course... Jesus is referencing the thing he had just said in the verses previously in the Gospel. Um, I'm struck by the resemblance of the very specific details of this prophecy of things that will take place before the Lord Jesus comes back to earth. Verse 25 says, Nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. I think until this year, I sort of just always, my ear had just right away gone to sort of the natural disaster, cataclysmic elements of the end times, right? The sea roaring. But specifically, the nations in perplexity about the seas roaring. Is it not the oceans and their role in weather systems that's the focal point of the big global climate change discussion? Like, nations in perplexity. They just met, I think, a few weeks ago for a big summit. Nations in perplexity. And people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Again, referencing these sort of natural... I mean, things occurring in the natural world, specifically in the oceans. Fear and foreboding. I think um, that in anything, being attentive to a scientific prediction is one thing. But the rising tide of what um, clinicians are calling eco-anxiety. It's actually been given like this clinical term that folks especially in the rising generations, are so concerned about what is perhaps coming down the line with, uh, or, or with, what, with uh, the climate change um, that it becomes this sort of crushing sense of dread that's radically altering otherwise normal life choices, like people wanting to not have kids because of what they think they foresee down the line with climate change, fainting with fear and foreboding about what is coming in the world. It sounds like a sort of pessimistic description of Gen Z. No offense, Gen Z. And the increased timeliness of these prophetic words strike me. Okay, so that's the setting, just to connect these things. And into which Jesus tells us to do two things, which he connects to his promise to come again. He says, straighten up and raise your heads. Physical actions corresponding to an inner meaning. Straighten up, literally, up-bend yourself. The metaphor is clear, right? The scriptures are full of sort of describing our life in seeking God as one of trying to stay on the narrow way, neither falling off to the right or to the left, right? Keeping a straight course rather than a, a bending course. It's, you know, sin is described as crookedness, right? warping away from what God is calling us to do. And even this, sort of the opposite of straighten up is slouching, and I'm a perennial sloucher, so I I speak from experience here, but I find even the, the, the sort of physical posture of slouching—it's kind of emblematic, from in my experience even, of an inner world that is that is not all all well, right? This sort of kind of lazy lurching life, like oh, get some stuff over here, and kind of shuffle <laughs> off over here, right? It's not—it's not upright. He says, also raise your heads, as in. Don't just be looking at what is on the earth. Right? Look above, above what is on the earth. What is that? The sky, which is, points us to heaven. And to remember that as well as everything you can see with your eyeballs, there's what you can't yet see with your eyeballs, which is Christ in heaven, but who the promise is one day we will see him with our eyeballs when he raises our bodies on the last day. And so if you raise your heads and sort of keep more of the heavens, more of the sky and the remembrance of God in heaven in view as it were, raising your head because it tilts the angle of your eyes, that is the right way to be looking at the world in which you experience it. There are other things on the earth. We're paying attention to them. But raise your heads a little. Right? Not, I don't think it's like this. Right? It's not, don't look at earth at all. I think it's just raise your heads a little. Keep more of the sky in your visual arc to remember that Christ is always seated on his throne and will come again. So these two directions, straighten up, raise your heads, they obviously are intended to shape our inner life, our mind and our heart, but I'm fully convinced that one of the ways that we shape our inner life is through our outer life. Right? And this is kind of in the, our DNA as Anglicans, that we, when we come to confess, we either bow or kneel. Right? We do something with our body to kind of nudge our heart into a posture. Right? It, it makes more sense, it, it doesn't make much sense to say, Lord, we confess our sins, right? no, 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 Lord, we confess our sins. And so this idea that we can teach our inner world something um, by what we do outwardly leads me to sort of offer you an idea for the keeping of this advent of 2021. And I want to do something I've never done before in a sermon, but I'd ask if you'd bear with me for just like 90 seconds. Um, I actually want to suggest an advent posture that we've practiced together, would you be willing to stand up with me? So going on out and live with me for just, just for a moment. Jesus gave us a physical direction, which I actually want to practice physically as a sort of teaching thing for our heart. So first of all, just to stand up straight. And I did actor training and a lot of act training is just beginning to learn to stand up straight. And one of the tips is try and imagine like a string attached to the back of your head, kind of pulling you up to the, to the ceiling. And trying to stand as tall, as if you're like how kids try and, without going on tippy-toes, as if trying to touch your head to a certain height marker, trying to stand up straight. This is a physical picture, this feeling of standing up straight, of what Jesus is exhorting us to inwardly. I find that even just when I stand up tall like this, I feel like this little bit of buffer between me and the world in a good way. That I'm not just going to rush into action or speech, but have a bit more kind of centered composure. Stand up straight. And he says raise your head, so I encourage you then to raise your head just by a few degrees as if your, eye, your line of sight is just a little bit above the horizon rather than on the horizon, so that if we could see the sky a little bit more sky would come into view. Okay, and then try and kind of log how this feels, this posture and we're going to call this the Advent Posture, right? Practicing, standing up straight and raising your heads. Okay, thank you for experimenting with me, please sit down. Um, I'm actually f- going to try and practice this physically, not because good posture is an eternal end; it is not, right? It, it's just a thing that is part of our bodily life, but as a way of trying to jog my inner mind, my heart. For what are we supposed to be doing during Advent? Right, standing up straight and raising our heads, being a bit more ready and composed and watchful for Christ's second coming. And so I won't so let's not raise question marks with each other if we see ourselves kind of walking around a little bit more (laughs) awkwardly, that's okay I'm not not joking I'm really going to be practicing this earnestly for Advent because I think it's a way, Jesus gives us this physical cue, this physical clue of how to practice a a heart disposition so Advent will not be successfully accomplished if you attained only good posture Um, it will be a useful Advent if it's practicing that pattern of the heart one of the desert fathers um, Saint Hyperichius said, Let your mind be always on the kingdom of heaven and you will soon inherit it. Oh, that, Let your mind be always on the kingdom of heaven and you'll soon inherit it. That's the idea behind raising your head just a little bit to think about heaven. The idea of this posture is that it would create what the um, saints through the ages of, uh, have called watchfulness. Watchfulness. And sort of multiple ways, watchfulness, watching for Christ, watchfulness over oneself, like not living thoughtlessly, but seeing, oh, I stumbled into this sin again, Lord. I need to confess that to you. Oh, I, 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 I find myself sort of inclined towards things which I know will lead to sin, Lord. I want to. How can I do this in a more, way more pleasing to you? Uh, watchfulness over ourselves and our actions towards others. That in cultivating the spirit of watchfulness, um, we are practicing being ready for when Christ comes again. And it may be today. right? It, the Lord actually could come back today. And the Christian life is lived rightly when um, we are ready for that. To say, yeah, Lord, when you come back, that's what I'm watching for. And when I say ready, I want to be really clear. that I don't mean like we've sort of scrubbed ourselves clean at some level as if we had the ability to do that. But part of readiness is to say, Lord, I'm not ready. I actually need your mercy. right? That's the, the, the paradox of Christianity always, is readiness is the admission of unreadiness. But even that is a posture of the heart that is looking up to heaven to say, well, I'm not sure that I'm ready for you to come back yet. I think parts of my life feel, still feel out of order of your reign, and I want you to bring them into order. And so I want to be more ready for this. And it's the continual practice. And I love how Jesus describes himself in this passage. Um, He describes himself as our redemption, which um, is not the same word as redeemer. He is our redeemer. But in this specific passage, he's wanting to offer an additional layer of teaching. That this word of redemption, we, we think of it so exclusively in a religious context, but the actual normal use of this word would have been when you bought back a person from slavery. Like someone got enslaved, and you went and paid money to get them back to yourself right and the the redeemer is the one that buys the slave and the redemption is the cost of the buying back the cost your redemption is drawing near what is our redemption what was the cost the body and the blood of christ shed for us on the cross right your redemption It's drawing near. It's a picture of the second coming where we'll see Christ in 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 his eternal body coming back to earth. And until that great day, every holy communion that we participate in is, as it were, a down payment of our total redemption. Each piece of sacramental bread are like so many coins being saved up until we're given the fullness of the inheritance inheritance that is the fullness of our life in Christ, when we won't be able to do anything other than be fixed on heavenly things for eternity. Amen.